Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum radio show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to defend your faith. We have a very special guest today on our program. He is going to be one of the speakers at our annual apologetics conference next Friday and Saturday, October 24th and 25th. This year is an all-virtual format, so make sure you go to our website, theambassadorsforum.com, to register today. You won't want to miss it. Well, my guest today needs no introduction. Josh McDowell's testimony may be the most well-known testimony of any Christian on the planet today. His journey to faith resulted in perhaps one of the most comprehensive compilation of evidence for Christianity that exists outside the Bible. His book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, published in 1972, literally became the template for how we equip to defend our faith. He basically started what I would call the modern field of Christian apologetics. I know that book and others that you've written, Josh, have profoundly affected my walk with God. And just about every other Christian I've talked to has a similar encounter with the truth that you have presented as part of your lifelong ministry. Josh, welcome to the show. It is my greatest honor to interview you today. I sure hope that introduction was recorded. <laughs> that's the best one i've ever had except the time i introduced myself <laughs> well i know that the subject of fatherhood means so much to you josh and it's critical yeah you and i have the same father and from what i understand we have a pretty similar adoption story as we came into his family so i know i've heard you say that you were never an atheist you were too smart for that. You called yourself an obnoxious agnostic. I understand that perspective. That was me too. I always knew that God was real. I just didn't want him telling me what to do. In light of that, tell me about your relationship with God as your father and how that relationship has translated into the relationships with your own yeah. grandchildren. When I share my testimony, a lot of people think, that my number one problem with Christianity was intellectual because I set out to write evidence that demands a verdict against the Christian faith. And when I couldn't refute it intellectually, I ended up becoming a Christian. But actually my probably greater barriers to Christianity was relational and emotional. Christians who were well-meaning would say to me, knowing my background, well, you know, Josh, you have a heavenly father who loves you. That didn't bring me joy, as everybody thought it would. It brought sure. me pain and discomfort. Why? Because I could not discern the difference between a heavenly father and an earthly father. And I grew up believing fathers hurt you. My father hurt me. And as a result, I really took a while to come to Christ because of the fatherly image. And until I realized that there truly is a heavenly father who is different than my earthly father, did I seriously consider becoming a believer and a follower of Christ? And so my view of a father was probably my biggest, at least emotional barrier to ever coming to Christ. But several things really impacted me. When I realized, and this is one of the greatest thoughts I've ever thought, 
that if I were the only person alive, Jesus still would have died for me. Wow. But think more than that. God that created the universe wants to spend eternity with me. Mm. My earthly father never wanted to spend five minutes with me, mm. let alone eternity. And little by little, as I read the scriptures and all, I saw that the heavenly father is a whole lot different than an earthly father. And so it basically came to the point where I trusted Christ as my Savior and Lord. Amen. And how have you been able to translate that into relationships with your children and your grandchildren once you've got that fatherly figure set right? Well, there's many things. What I learned from my heavenly father is unconditional love, that there's nothing I can do to stop his love. And that has flowed over to my children, where I've done everything I could to communicate to my children about what I say and how I act, that my love for them is not conditioned on performance, Hmm. that I love you, period, and you cannot stop my love for you. And I remember one time after school, I picked up my oldest daughter, Kelly, and we were walking across the parking lot. And I said, honey, I want you to hear something from your dad. I love you. There's nothing you could do to ever stop my love for you. Mm. And she dropped her books right on the pavement, threw her arms around me, said, I know it, Daddy, but it's good (laughs) to hear it again. I went, wow. Wow. That is one area. The other is the area of forgiveness. I realized that Christ died for all forgiveness. And when I was a non-believer and confessed my sins to Christ, even though I never had Bible studies or anything, I knew, somehow I knew that God forgave me, not because of anything I had done, but because Christ died on the cross for my sins. Mm. And so one thing I want to communicate with my children and grandkids, I love you. No matter what happens, I will forgive you. Mm. There's a power in forgiveness. So probably forgiveness and unconditional love is two of the greatest things I learned. And the other is time. I found out if I don't spend time with my Heavenly Father, listening to Him, sharing with Him, I will never grow my Christian faith. And that's flowed over to the relationship with my three daughters and my son, Hmm. where I had to learn I need to spend time with them. Not just talking, but listening, Hmm. asking, inquiring questions. Well, when did that happen? Why did you feel that way? How did you feel, etc.? And so those are three things. That flowed over into my relationship from God to my children. One of the things that I, so I have seven kids. And one of the special things that I've been able to do with all of my kids, we call it Bible time. Or we read the Bible together and then we act it out. And because of COVID and all the things that have been happening, we haven't done that in a couple of months. And last night we resumed Bible time. And everybody was excited and we just we hug and we laugh and we we read the Bible together and we enjoy God and we learn about him. And it reminded me last night, this is one of the treasured moments I have with my children and I want to get back into it. So, yeah, that's a great point about time. I always figured the more my children learn from me, the greater our relationship would be. I remember one of my children, it was. It was Easter, and we were in Laguna Beach. 
So I said, let's go to the beach. We went down to the beach. We read the story of the resurrection. And then out of sand, we built a tomb. We got a rock, rolled against it, everything. Oh, wow. Put out the resurrection. Oh, that's and fun. We both still remember that to this day. Wow. Most of the time when I talked with my children, was not in what you would call family devotional time. We had a different type of family devotion. On the way to school, on the way to a ball game, on the way to a movie home. I had it all planned out ahead of time. And I would ask a certain question mm. that would bring up an issue. And then with just the two of us or three or four, we would discuss it in the car. And I think some of the best truths I ever taught my kids we're driving them to a baseball game, picking them up or something else like that. It reminds me, Josh, of uh, Deuteronomy where Moses says, whatever you're doing, whether you're sitting down, you know, rising up, walking along the way, just incorporate it into your car. life. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you have always had a heart to reach young people, your whole ministry. What drives you to keep that focus? Probably my own background and story. As a young person, I had so many issues in my life. I had a lot of resentment, anger against my father and my mother because my dad was a town alcoholic. and I was the one of five children, the youngest, and everything was taken out of me after everybody left. After I came to Christ, I wanted to tell the other young people about it. I've always wanted to try to reach young people before they reach those points where they make some really horrible decisions in their life that will affect them for the rest of their lives. Hmm. That used to be in university. Now it's in high school and middle school. And then always, though, I've always had two tracks in my life. The other track is parenting. Because if you really want to help young people, you must help parents, hmm. period. Most of us, by, as parents, we need help. <laughs> no matter how good of a parent we are, yes. we can be better. Yes. So I developed seven A's of parenting. Mm. So simultaneously with reaching young people, I go into community, we'd have youth outreaches, and we have parents. Mm. And in fact, I would usually, uh, I've done six or seven major campaigns in the last two, three, four years in my ministry. And in these campaigns, I would first go into every city, like 70 cities, and meet with pastors. Then I would come back to 70 cities and meet with the parents. Then I would come back to the 70 cities and do the big youth outreaches and rallies. Mm. Why? The more I got pastors on board, the more parents showed up. The more mm. parents I got on board, the more students showed up. Like mm. if we had 1,500 to 2,000 pastors out, we knew we were gonna have six, 7,000 youth out. And it was a wise strategy. Plus, mm. Because I talked to pastors about youth, parents about youth, and then to the youth, they were able to interact with them even better and more often. So that's kind of the uniqueness of it. That's a great, that's brilliant. <laughs> so you've been at this a long time. How has apologetics changed in the last 50 years? Well, first of all, how has culture changed spiritually? Mm. We've gone where 20 years ago, questions were about the world problems in the world, uh, hunger, etc. And then gradually it's shifted to more, not so much that the world has a problem, but I have a problem. Mm -hmm. And it shifted from the world around to the individual. And as a result, apologetics became more centered around the individual than around the world. And I learned 
And this is probably what makes me a little different than other apologists. And I'm glad there's this difference, at least with me. A top leading, I think he's one of the top apologists in the world. I just admire him. He called me a number of years ago and he said, Josh, what in the world's the difference between you and me? I wanted to say, well, I'm handsome and you're not. And that wasn't true, so I didn't say it. But uh, I said, the difference is this. You teach apologetics to learn truth. I teach apologetics to transform relationships. Mm. I believe all truth was given, not just to learn, not to know truth, but to apply truth. The key to truth is application, not the learning. Mm. Application should be a part of your learning process. I think what's made a difference in me over the years and many other apologists is rules without relationships lead to rejection. Truth without relationships leads to rejection. Hmm. Discipline without relationships leads to anger and resentment and bitterness. Hmm. And so when it comes to apologetics, we need to present it in the context of relationship. In other words, how does it affect your relationship? That, that's a great uh perspective, Josh. What got me into apologetics was, as I said earlier, seven kids. When my older kids became teenagers, they started asking me questions I couldn't answer. And what was interesting was I didn't want to I didn't want to do all this work and study and research and Bible study to know the truth. Although that was a part of it, I wanted to help my kids. And, and that was the relationship part of it. And wow. that's that's what that's me. a great reason to want to get to know apologetics. One of the big emotions of today is intellectual skepticism. As I've talked to so many young people in countries all over the world, one of their biggest response was there was no one who would answer my questions. And that's when I realized we need to teach parents apologetics. Amen. Pastors need to teach it in the church and all. It's like a friend of mine in Dallas. He said, I'm meeting with three young people, and they just got questions I can't answer. Would you come with me one time and meet with them? I said, yes. So I did. Mm. They had the simplest questions about the <laughs> resurrection, the deity of Christ, the scriptures, everything. And I said, Jeff, you need to be able to answer these. Well, kind of switching topics a little, Josh, I know that you've said you going to talk about sex now? Yeah. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> Good. I know that you've said sexual sin is destroying the church. Oh, you are. Yeah, I, that, you know it. <laughs> uh, I know that you've said sexual sin is destroying the church, perhaps more than any other thing in the world today. In your opinion, what is the outlook? How are we doing? Are we doing enough? Porn is the greatest problem in the history of the church. What I actually said was not sex. It was pornography. Mm, has okay. destroyed more churches, more pastors, more relationships, more homes, more young people than anyone in history. Wow. There's no comparison. And as a result, I think you could almost say way over half of our evangelical pastors don't just watch porn. They're addicted to porn. Wow. A large percentage of our young people under 24, a large percentage, are constantly involved in porn and older people. And the issue is, if a church does not take a stand on porn, then the pastor has failed his people. Hmm. I'm getting ready to release 24 issues dealing with porn. Wow. 
somehow I'm going to release them on the internet because I don't want to do another book. But I'm just about, by next Tuesday, I'll be done with it. And so I've got to think, now, how am I going to get this out into the hands of pastors and all? Mm. And we'll probably start through denominational leaders. Mm. But if the denominations and the church leaders do not rise up even more in the heaven of past, and I mean directly confront pornography, we'll lose. Mm. My, my fear is we will lose. Mm. And my fear is, oh, I pray to God I'm proven wrong, that pastors won't rise up mm. and take it out. That's my fear. But I'm doing everything I can to educate people. <laughs> but uh, porn is here to stay. I had a Christian mom say to me, like a number of Christian mothers have, oh, Josh, you don't understand. I've got good kids. My kids are godly kids. We have <laughs> devotions every day. We read the Bible together as a family. We pray together. My kids aren't going to look for pornography. Mm -hmm. I go, oh, my God, wake up. Yeah. yeah. Yes, your kids probably are good kids. You've probably done a wonderful job raising them. You have taught them the scriptures. You've had prayer time together. You've had time in the scripture. Yes, but you're missing the point, Mom. Yeah. Pornography is looking for your children and absolutely will find them. Yeah. You cannot completely protect your children from seeing pornography. You can't. It's so prevalent. The key is to prepare them for the first time they see it because they're going to see it. Mm. And most of them by eight years old. In pastors' homes, four to six years old. Wow. We'll probably see porn. Wow. And by the first time, if you've not equipped your child to deal with porn, you could well lose it. Hmm. This is why so many evangelical Christian young people think pornography is God's means of sex. Why? They never hear anyone talk about it. Wow. They've never been explained what's wrong with it and all. What it can do to you. What can it do to your body, to your relationship, to your mind, to your wow. marriage, to your friends. Hmm. And so, yes, porn is the greatest challenge to the church ever. Wow. You can go to my website, josh.org forward slash pornography. And I have, yeah, I think it's 2000 pages wow. all documented on porn. Wow. Broken up into about 17 documents. What is porn? How big is porn? Consequences of porn, porn in the brain, porn in children, etc. Wow. That can really help you. And also, I think you can go there and type in on my website, websites that I can go to to deal with porn. Mm. I've done a lot of research mm. and we have several pages, a list of excellent sites for parents, for young people, everything in dealing with porn. Mm. And Josh, why do you think more pastors are not tackling this head on? Two of the top Christian leaders in America called me and they both deal with marriage and sexuality a lot. And I hosted several years ago, the first ever global summit on pornography called set free. Mm. 19 countries were involved in it. And each one of them had called me to thank me for all the effort and the money spent to put on a conference like this. And they said, who do you want to get there? And I said to both these men separately, Influencers. I call leaders influence. 
those that influence in the education world, the business world, the youth world, pastors. And I said, pastors mainly. Hmm. And with both of them, it's interesting. There was a silence. And then each one of them used almost the exact same phrases. They said, pastors won't come. I said, why? (laughs) Each one of them shared three things. One, shame, fear of exposure, and ignorance. Wow. Both these men with no connection to each other. Wow. Wow. Shared to say, you know what? Pastors didn't show up. You know why? Shame, fear of exposure, and ignorance. Wow. We had just a handful of pastors. But boy, do we have a lot of influential Christian leaders. Hmm. Well, last question. Thank you, Josh. Um, Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, the Bible talks about leaving a legacy. When you think about the kind of legacy that you want to leave someday, what does that look like to you? Well, I've always said I'd like on my tombstone. He loved Jesus. He loved his family and spent time with his children. Mm, Wow. So that'd probably be my legacy. Wow. So that was your last question. That, that okay. is. Th- thank you, Josh. Let me say a quick word of prayer th- for us. God, thank you so much for the work that you do in so many people, Lord. You are writing stories that are magnificent, amazing portraits of your grace. And so thank you for the work that you did in Josh's heart and in his life so many years ago, Lord, to put your grace on display. And so thank you for using him. Uh, Thank you for all the apologists that you're raising up now, God, to be relational apologists. Be with us, teach us, train us, and help us to always keep in mind that it is your heart that we want to embrace. It's your heart that we want to pass on to people so that they can connect with you in relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. All right. Thank you, Josh. Wow. What an honor and a privilege it was to interview Josh McDowell on our program today. So how are you holding up under all of the stresses and chaos of the situations in our country today? Do you know how to defend your faith in the midst of the increasing attacks on Christianity and the Bible? Do you know how to answer the tough questions your kids or grandkids are bringing home from school? Do you know how to respond with clear, convincing answers when you are dragged into the spotlight and questioned about God or the Bible? Or are you feeling like the winds of chaos and uncertainty are blowing you all over the map? Do you feel like you need a strong tether to anchor you during these storms? Then you need to come to our annual Apologetics Conference next weekend. It is all virtual, so anybody in the country can attend. Our theme this year is Tethered to the Truth. You will hear amazing speakers like Josh McDowell, Alex McClellan, Neil Shenvey, Hillary Morgan Ferrer, Elizabeth Urbanowitz, and others teach you how to be prepared, how to be equipped, and how to confidently defend your faith because you'll have answers to those tough questions. You will be encouraged. You will be strengthened. You do not want to miss this opportunity. 
There will be six main talks and 20 different breakout sessions. That's 26 opportunities to learn more about what the Bible has to say and how to apply it to the hot topics in our culture today. The conference will start at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Friday, October 24th and go until 9 p.m. and then resume again on Saturday, October 25th at 9 a.m. and go until 5 p.m. Adult tickets are just $15, and youth tickets are just $10. Also, we have a few very exciting opportunities for young people. First of all, we have a student session that starts at 9 p.m. on Friday night called Real Talk, where students can meet in small groups with the speakers from our conference in an open, informal setting to ask their questions from experts in those fields. This personal access to the world's leading apologists is an unbelievable opportunity. Second, we have partnered with nine of the top Christian universities in the country that have specific apologetics courses to give high school students a unique opportunity to meet with current college students on those campuses in a live chat to ask questions and learn about those programs and schools. This is another unique opportunity you won't want to miss. Go to our website, theambassadorsforum.com. That's theambassadorsforum.com to learn more and register today. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio this morning. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 